Well, let's reach for the first of the blah for the Bible, and then let's get ready to listen today. And as we listen then, I'm sure there'll be things will come to our mind by way of question that we need to ask ourselves and maybe each other. We're going to focus today on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 13. And as Paul comes to the end of his letter to the whole church at Ephesus, he wants to leave a very clear picture in their minds. And it's a picture that looks something like this on the screen. It's a picture of a what? Who? What? What is that? Of course, it's a soldier. And if you were to dig a little bit deeper and ask, well, how do you know it's a soldier? You would say, well, by the equipment that he's got, by the uniform that he wears, by the gun that he's been carrying. A couple of hundred years ago, soldiers probably looked a little bit more like this, with these very fancy uniforms. Whether they did them any good or not, I'm not too sure. But I'm sure the guns weren't as powerful, and those hats don't look pretty secure. If you ask me, even a snowball would knock one of those off, never mind a bullet. But we've got to remember today, whenever we're thinking about Paul writing, where was Paul writing from? He wasn't writing from Ephesus. He was writing from a prison cell in Rome. And the thing that he saw 24 hours a day, seven days a week, would have been characters like this next slide. He was chained to a Roman soldier constantly, every day, every month, consistently. And as we know, these Roman soldiers, they look very smart. Have a look at the, the, the armor that they wear. They were well-trained, they were well-equipped, and that's one of the reasons why the Romans ruled the known world for so long. Their army was almost unstoppable. They rarely lost a battle, they were very well-led, and they trained extremely hard. They lived and believed in what they fought for. It's not just in the film, but it's true. Whenever they would have met another Roman, if they were born in Rome, they'd have killed Caesar. They were so proud of where they were from. But as Paul comes to the end of all he wants to say to his friends living back in Ephesus, as he writes from his prison cell here in Rome, he begins by using the pictures of the soldier to help the Ephesians in his letter. How do I know? Well, verse 10 tells us this. Finally, he's like any good preacher, isn't he? He says finally, and then he has about four paragraphs still to go. Finally, he says in verse 10, be strong. Be ready as a Christian. Find your power and strength. Remember everything that I have already told you. Get your equipment ready because here's the first thing that I want you to remember this morning. And boys and girls, if you've downloaded the sheet, you will know this is number one. The battle or the war is on. The battle or the war is on. You see, there's only need for an army when there's a battle. And Paul has just spent the last two chapters, chapters 4 and 5, describing where the battle takes place. And it's not necessarily where we'd expect. The war rages in our lives. The battle for our minds and what we think. The battle for our lips and what we say. The battle for our hearts over how we love and how we live. And chapter 5 describes it as a battle between light and darkness. But where does it play out? Most of us think of a battle, you know, we think of the, the men pushing the little soldiers on the huge map and the battles either either in trenches or in the sea or in the air, especially if we think back to the Second World War. Where does this all take place? And it's very surprising. Chapters 4 and 5 tell us. The battle takes place in our homes and in our marriages. 
The battle takes place whenever we are selfish and not sacrificial. Whenever we've got hard rather than loving hearts. The battle takes place as children are disobedient to their parents. Our parents become impatient with their children. In our churches, when we play favorites and choose to love one more than someone else. Or our workplaces where we badmouth the boss. Or as students, when we skive at our studies and think it's a great laugh to disrespect our teachers. There's a battle going on when we're lazy in our attitudes towards work. Chapters 4 and 5 says that's where the battle takes place. That's where the evil one gets victory over you. Even as a boss, slow to praise the hard work that's been done. There is a war on, and it's a war for our very souls. We're in the fight of our lives every day, and it's played out every morning as you set foot out of bed. The battle begins all over again. How do you know? Verse 12 tells us it's a struggle, and verse 13 tells us it's the day of evil. The fight starts in here, in our very souls. So long as sin exists, we'll be at war. So long as we live in these bodies here on earth, we'll be in a battle. And so as Christians, we do not just dance lightly into the new day and find each morning as the sun shines, everything is sweetness and light. No, we need to be up for the fight. Going into the day not ready for that battle, and I'm not saying that we go in aggressively and wanting to punch up with everyone we meet, but rather we need to be aware it's a battle for our very souls. Because the moment we wake up in the morning, we're tempted to sin. So how does Paul help us as he looks at and he describes this Roman soldier standing next to him to help us in our understanding of the battle we're in? Secondly, by being reminded as Christians, our enemy is real. Our enemy is real. Verse 11 tells us that we're to get dressed in the armor that God provides and be ready for battle so that we can stand up to the devil's schemes. Verse 12 tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, That means our battle isn't against other people. But interestingly, Satan uses other people and other things to hurt us. Folks, I want you to be in no illusion today. Satan's real. He loves to unsettle us. He likes to turn little issues into big problems and niggle away at us when we're most vulnerable. He and his demonic powers are extremely well organized. He loves to kick us when we're down. He loves to go at us when we're tired or weak or worried. He likes to pick us off and he loves to wind us up. And verse 11 says he uses schemes. Now what do schemes mean? What are the devil's schemes? Well, let me tell you, schemes are subtle, sneaky, underhand, camouflaged ways of getting into our heads and unsettling our minds. Think of, the, think of the trap that's been set for a wild animal in the jungle. You know, they've dug the big hole, the hunters, and then they've set the grass and the reeds on top of it, and the animal comes running along and falls in. That's the devil's schemes. He knows where you are each day. He knows where you're most vulnerable, and he sets the trap accordingly. He's ready for you, and he's just waiting for us to walk on in because he knows that we are so prone to sin. It might be when you're on your own. It might be when you're lonely and you end up watching something you know you shouldn't or you waste time on the things that are worthless. It may be when you, you get a little bit jealous and the way you make yourself feel better is by discrediting the person you're jealous of. It might be late at night when you're tired and you say something that you wish you hadn't. 
It might be just after work when you come out a bit disgruntled. Or it might be for some of us, the very first thing in the morning. Or it could be when we're sick and we're vulnerable or we're tired or a bit put out about something. Or it might be when we begin to get a little bit worried or doubt and we begin to disengage with God. Satan just loves to find that little gap and he keeps poking and poking. And he knows exactly where your weak point is today. He knows where mine is. And he uses it frequently. And he knows you. And he knows where your weak spots are. And he will use it. It might be when everything is great. And life is a breeze. Because that's our most dangerous time. For the devil never comes at us with those big pointy horns or that red stick blowing and the smell of smoke as the cartoons portray him. Rather, as 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Satan dresses up as if he's an angel of light. Folks, sin never looks bad. Sin always looks appealing and exciting and attractive and lovely. And it draws you in and bang, he's got you. In the original Star Wars film, and New Hope, there is a classic scene when the goodies, who are known as the Rebel Alliance, if you're not into Star Wars, are about to attack the Death Star created by the Emperor and the evil Darth Vader. And as the Rebel Alliance wonder why it's been so easy to get so close to this Death Star that's going to do them so much harm that they want to destroy, and they go right in and they get so close, and those ex-fighter planes are about to do their business until Admiral Akbar, the peanut-headed commander of the rebels, realizes they have been allowed to go this far so that the empire can suck them in and then destroy them. It was part of the enemy's plan to make it easy so they could wipe them out. And all of a sudden it dawns on Admiral Akbar as he shouts out in the mission control room, It's a trap! It's a trap! Get out of here! Get out of here! And that's what we need to do in our lives. We need to look long and hard and be prepared for battle, to be ready for when the attack comes, because so often Satan comes at us through a very attractive trap. And it's usually when things have seemed so straightforward, we get lured in, we get suckered in, but we need to remember today, what does the word Satan mean? Deceiver. He's the prince of lies. He's a twister. He'll take things that are good and make them look bad. He'll make things that are bad look really good. And he knows how to get at us. And he knows us personally. So don't be fooled. Paul says here, be ready for battle because the devil will attack us when we least expect it. Our enemy is real. And boys and girls here today, and boys and girls watching at home, as well as all the adult folks, we need to be ready to fight sin. To know that he is real and he wants to bring us down. He is no friend of ours. He wants to make us feel that God is not there and God doesn't care. In fact, that was the very first sin, wasn't it? Whenever Satan said to Adam and Eve, that fruit looks nice, that looks good, why not have a bite? You'll just be like God. And that was the beginning of what was a terrible end. That's why we need to be Christian soldiers. We are in a fight because our enemy is real. But thirdly, we need a commander with a plan. Thank God we do have one. A commander with a plan. 
Look at what verse 10 says. Verse 10 is the most important verse here. Be strong in the Lord, in the Lord, and in his mighty power. Remember, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Let's not ditch the first three chapters where we were exposed to some of those wonderful truths the Bible has to offer us. For example, in Ephesians 2 verse 4, we have been saved by God's mercy. We were dead in sin. Now we're alive with Christ. We're seated in the highest places. Chapter 2 verse 8, we're saved by God's grace, that great gift of God through our Lord Jesus. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He's gifted it to us, his death and resurrection. And then that memory verse that we were learning over those weeks. To grasp more fully how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ. He's given us all this love. He's given us this wonderful salvation. But you see, without a knowledge of that love, without a knowledge of Christ, without a knowledge that he saves, we don't stand a chance against the devil. We're utterly defeated with no answer to our sin, no answer to our guilty nature, no answer to how we feel our shame. But do you see our commander? Do you see our chief? Do you see our Lord Jesus? He's the one that's already led us into battle. He's gone before us. He's faced the foe. And he's won. The head of our army is Jesus. And he's already defeated the devil. For he carried our sin at the cross. The sinless Savior died in our place, facing the punishment for sin. And the moment, at that moment, the devil thought it won, didn't he? His great enemy, Jesus, was laying dead. But when Jesus rose again those three days later, the devil and all his plans were left in tatters eternally. For the two weapons that Satan uses, sin and the fear of death, had both been crushed beneath the feet of Jesus. And whilst the devil is still alive and the devil is still active, he cannot snatch Christians away from Christ. He cannot do it. For remember, all the way through the book of Ephesians, what's Paul's repeated phrase? In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. And if you are in Christ, you cannot let God separate God from himself. He will not do it. Satan can make us doubt and feel defeated. But if we are in Christ, we are meant to spend the rest of our lives drawing on Jesus' victory every day, remembering that we are on the winning side. Nothing the devil can do can rip us from the saving, protective hand of our commander, Jesus. That's why it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He doesn't send us to face the devil alone. Be strong, not in your own bodies, but in his mighty power. We struggle, but he saves. And I want to leave these words with you on the screen. We are not left to fight for victory, but as Christians, we fight from the place of victory. Let's get that into our heads today. We are not left to fight for victory. The victory's already been won, but as Christians, we fight from the place of victory, and that makes a world of difference. Jesus, our commander, and his plan is, keep coming back to me. Keep learning more of me. Keep relying upon me. Remember that you're in me, and I am your commander, and I am your savior. And as we keep coming back and reading chapters like chapters one to three and being amazed with his love for us, we will go into each new day compelled and inspired and fired up that we have the victory, that Jesus is Lord, 
any plan the evil one throws at us then will fail. But you know, God's people will slip when we try to face the battle alone. Know the greatness of God's power and then use it. Every morning you wake up, you remember, and we're going to hear about it, put on that helmet of stuff. Remember every day that you are a Christian. You are saved. Get it into your minds. Put it on your heads. And then get out into that day and fight whatever comes. That means we need to keep coming back, reading these wonderful chapters in Ephesians 1 to 3, and see the saving grace that is ours and go out and face the foe. But fourthly and really importantly, make sure you're part of his army. Make sure you're part of his army. Because there are people sitting in Union Road today, there are people watching at home today, and you think that just because you're connected to this church that you are a Christian. Well, I am so sorry to tell you this, but my understanding and my reading of the Bible is that you are not if that's what you're holding on to. It means you're looking for safety from trouble without wanting Jesus. But at this moment, you are not just facing the enemy. Let me be really stark with you today. If you're not a Christian, you are not just facing the enemy. You're in the side of the enemy. The Bible tells us you're either in one or two armies. You're either in the army of Satan or the army of God. There's no, no man's land in all of this. And I want to ask you today, are you part of Jesus' army? And I really need to ask you that today because this is not just a life and death matter. This is a heaven-hell matter. Whether you're eight or 88, is Jesus your Savior? Have you, by grace, trusted in Jesus Christ as the one who covers all your sins? Have you repented of them and turned to God to forgive them? Are you boasting in being a decent person or a jolly nice chap? Or are you looking at the cross and seeing what your sin and my sin has done to Jesus? It killed the Son of God. Does that lead us to weep and seek his help? For Jesus can only save us in our battles with the devil if we're part of his army. That is, if Jesus is the commander of your life and if you trust in his plan of salvation, but maybe we're sitting here today and we love our sin so much that you just don't want to fight it. Let me say again, you can only be eternally safe if you rely on the saving power of Jesus, who's the commander. You will not know his power as you stand before him on the last day if you're not one of his people. And then finally, for Christians, as those who are part of the Lord's army, Paul says this, fifthly and finally as we finish, make sure you wear the right equipment for battle. Make sure you wear the right equipment for battle. That's what we're going to be thinking about over these next weeks. We're going to take two pieces of the armor of God every week throughout the rest of September. It's the equipment that God gives us. Like the Roman soldier, the helmet, the shield, the shoes, the sword. And what, do you notice something about it all? There's equipment there to defend yourself with. There's equipment there to attack with going forward and staying safe. But here's the key in verse 11. What does it say? And boys and girls, if you're filling some of this in, we are told to put on the full armor of God. It doesn't say put on your favorite bits or put on the bits that you fancy today. Put on the full armor of God. 
Imagine if a soldier woke up one day and he decided, well, I couldn't be bothered with the helmet today. It's a little bit heavy. My head's feeling it a bit. I'm not going to worry with the helmet. His head's exposed. What about if he goes out, I don't really fancy bringing a sword with me today. It was a bit uncomfortable against my leg yesterday. Well, then he's got nothing to attack with. What if he decides, I won't bother strapping up the shoes properly today. I'll just dander out. I don't really see much of an enemy attack coming on. And then suddenly the enemy comes and he trips, he falls. The shoes aren't done right. Put on the whole armor of God. And during the month of September, as we learn about this armor, you're not to pick and choose as a Christian which bit you fancy putting on, but put the whole armor on. And if you want to check up later those verses in Isaiah, all those verses in Isaiah on the screen reflect some of the armor of God in the Old Testament that are the characteristics of God. And when you think about the characteristics of God, basically we're being told, wear the clothing of God. If you put this on, you step out into the new day and you are just like Jesus in his righteousness and peace. This is the uniform of the Christian. So if we want to stand, if we want to be strong in the Lord, we don't pick and choose which parts we put on. We put on the full armor of God. And having learned one memory verse over these lockdown weeks, we're going to start learning a new verse that's going to be on the screen just now. And I want us to say it together because this is what we're going to learn throughout the month of September. Let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Let's say it together. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know, armor and military equipment is costly. And it costs Jesus his lifeblood to give you the armor that you need so that you can stand against the devil and sin and hell. So put it on. It's not a useless piece of kit. It'll save your life. Let's put on the full armor of God. Assured of the victory already won. That we might be part of his army.